All Things Work is sponsored by PNC Organizational Financial Wellness. Organizational Financial Wellness, organized for you. Learn more at pnc.com wellness. PNC and PNC Bank are registered marks of the PNC Financial Services Group, Inc. PNC. Welcome to the All Things Work podcast from the Society for Human Resource Management. I'm your host, Tony Lee, Head of Editorial Operations here at SHRM. Thank you so much for joining us. All Things Work is an audio adventure where we talk with thought leaders and tastemakers to give you an insider's perspective on all things work. Joining us this week is Steve Brown. Steve is Vice President of HR for La Rosa's Pizzeria, a restaurant chain with 65 locations serving communities in Ohio, Kentucky, and Indiana. Steve's an elected member of the Sherm Board of Directors, as well as an author and a thought leader who uh, moderates the online forum HRNet and writes frequently from his nationally recognized HR blog, Everyday People, as well as a column in HR Magazine. And Steve also recently published his second book in the HR space, HR Rising, From Ownership to Leadership. In this new book, HR Rising, Steve discusses how the HR profession can bring meaningful changes to the workplace, the challenges that HR practitioners uh, face when they're trying to engage in honest reflection on what their HR departments are actually doing to improve their organizations and the experiences of their employees. Well, that's, that's quite a lot that you cover in that book, Steve. Welcome to All Things Work. Thanks, Tony. It's good to be here with you. Uh, it's so great to, to be talking to you again. So, you know, this is uh, book number two with Sherm. And in HR Rising, you, you open it with a pretty bold statement. You say, for far too long, HR has been willingly ostracized in organizations. We've allowed ourselves to be relegated to the sidelines and the fringes of the daily business world swirling all around us. So you got that off your chest right off the bat. Is the rest of the book happier? <laughs> Where does it go from there? <laughs> I, I've heard from the people who've read it that it's challenging, which is was my hope, because I want to try to wake up people and have them understand that they are and always have been part of the business. It's funny, you and I have been doing this for quite a while. There's still so much out there that says HR has to learn the business. Learning means you're not involved. And I really think that for HR to be successful, we have to be the business. We're as much a function of an organization as any other function, such as marketing or operations or finance, we are as crucial. Well, there's been a lot of discussion that HR is actually more crucial in a pandemic. Do you believe it? Have you seen it? Oh gosh, yes. What's really funny is we tell everybody to bring 100% of themselves to work, except now, because now all of these emotions that have been bubbling under the surface for people for years are present. We're more equipped to handle that because we have a people focus. Most HR people have a people focus. So from the emotional side, from the self-care side, from keeping things stable, and then on the logistics and safety side, Tony, uh, we are critical because we're much more of a conduit to senior leadership, to the public, to marketing, to the press. We're kind of that in-between person that pulls everything together. So in, in your work environment, I imagine the majority of employees are in locations, but at many companies, they are now working from home. Does that change HR when you're working with a workforce that's remote? It absolutely does. It's funny, again, looking backwards a little, I remember when we used to have big fights about should telework occur 
and what are the challenges and how will people abuse it? And then overnight, we were forced into 100% remote for the majority of at least white-collar professions. So HR had to adapt in the moment, which was something that has been missing as well in our profession. So yes, it has changed dramatically. The employee relations issues are different. You're dealing with, as you and I talked on the last time we were on the podcast together, a loneliness at work. Now you're isolated. You have no person-to-person interaction. You have Zoom fatigue, a term that we've never heard before, where there are more virtual connections across time zones, across locations, virtually, but questioning the effectiveness of them. Now, I think people are more productive and people have always been performers. Now we're seeing it because we've had this myth of control for a long time in organizations. Now it's, hey, I expect you to do your work well while you're not here. And we're seeing that it's playing out well. But HR, again, has to be that conduit to check in with people, make sure that they have what they need, make sure that equipment is taken care of and that they're using things for the right reasons in the right way. So, yeah, we're we're critical now more than ever. Yeah. And, you know, you, you touched on it, but usually HR only deals with mental health issues when they arise kind of obviously in the workplace. Someone's challenged and is having issues. In this case, it seems like HR is becoming a little more proactive. Is that a role that you think HR is, is ready to take on? I think we're learning. I think it's something that is has been missing in the workplace because I think the whole issue of self-care and mental awareness has been overshadowed. We tend to address it when it becomes an issue or a problem instead of constantly checking in just to take a barometer check of how's it going? What's going on? Is there anything you need? More from a positive stance than a, gee, what's wrong? You know, oh my gosh, can I help you? We're not equipped to, to be someone who diagnoses. We're not someone who's equipped to give particular advice, but we can get them to resources if we need to. One of the real keys to this is I've seen communication change because you have access virtually more than you did possibly in person. But it, So you have people working extensive hours. They're not working a regular schedule. They're working almost around the clock. There's fatigue There's, you know, I have to be available at a moment's notice. So what we're trying to do here is really put a check on it. Like, do you need to get a hold of Tony? Is it really needed? Tony, do you need to get a hold of Steve? In trying to make those channels of communication clear so that when they're done, it's done well. It's not bound by time and space anymore. That sounds very surreal. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. But you want to be conscious of other people's time, not just your own. Yep. That's a great point. And, and you know, that that's a perfect segue to, uh, I wanted to mention a statement in HR Rising, the new book, that I thought was particularly poignant. And that is the challenge in today's workplace and in society overall is that when we fail each other, there is no room for grace. So how can HR avoid failing each other? And, and why is grace so important in the workplace? Back to bring your 100% to work, except when you goof up. <laughs> it's funny. You know, we we've, have countless examples of people learning from failure, but when failure occurs, we tend to hold people to a higher standard or a report card mentality instead of saying, hey, Tony, you didn't hit the deadline. How's it going? What's going on? Is there anything happening? And if there's not, then we can coach each other through situations. We tend to use the word accountable 
as a punitive measure instead of using it as an expectation. I need you to be accountable and get things done in this time frame, in this framework, under these parameters. So without having a little grace in there, people are on edge all the time. So let's pivot a little bit and talk about a priority at SHRM that is coming out this year, which is a focus on helping people managers manage better. We have a new people manager qualification credential that's, that's coming out. Why is it HR's role to help people managers manage better? The real HR happens between reporting relationships. So someone has people they're responsible for. You have to see if they're taking care of things from a people lens or from a tactical lens. Are we focusing on tasks only, regardless of the people who are there? Or do we focus on the people, enable them to do their work well, and get better results? Uh, In the book, the new theory I have of people plus processes equals results. When you look at people managers, that works because we'll talk processes all day. But what's funny is we'll say, oh, this process isn't working well. And Brian, doggone him. Or Susie, doggone her. You're like, no, wait a minute. Is it the process or is it the people doing the process? Mm -hmm. When people understand, people managers understand that it's the people under them or that report to them who are responsible for making these processes work then you tie both factors together and you'll get much better results. So it's key. And HR can help shepherd and teach people how to keep that people-first focus working all the time. Yeah. So tell me how that works with the theory that's been around forever and ever, which is you keep promoting employees until they reach the level where they're incompetent, <laughs> right? <laughs> so you, you, get the, you get the great engineer who can, you know, engineer products all day long. And because he's so or she's so good that promoted a manager and this person doesn't know how to manage. And so that they are completely mismatched with their job. How do employers deal with that? How do they give people opportunities and train them to be good managers or recognize that they will never be a good manager and not make them a manager? I think that's a great question. I think companies have to have a little more courage to have hard conversation. Someone may be very technically proficient in what they do, and there's value in that. When I worked for the company prior to La Rosa's, we had a technical arm and a people arm. So people that were more in the people manager vein who were technically astute, but also had good people management skills, they followed one track. People that were technically astute, but really weren't good with people, we had a different path, but they could grow to senior levels. Having more of a Y model versus a straight line model, that's one option. The second thing is understand there's room for both in the organization. There are people who are great accounts payable persons or great IT people, but you don't want them working with direct reports. They interact with people, but that's a lot different than having people who they're responsible for. So when it becomes, here's my budget, here's my P&L, and you know, where are you in performance reviews? It may take away from their technical capability. I'd rather have them work from their strengths than just say, oh, gosh, they're really good. I'm going to give them people. Now, the other thing the organization has to do is understand that those great people managers may not be the high-tech people inside the organization, but they can bring teams together. They can make movement happen in the organization. So I think there's room for both. 
You just have to have more upfront conversations about it. Yeah. And HR's role is to step in for those who aren't as good as they should be managing and help them become a better manager. Does that make sense? Yes. I think HR would make a huge jump organizationally if we had more of a development focus versus a reporting focus. And by reporting, I mean, let's tick the box of, did you get your reviews done? Are you following up in your goals? Everything's very linear. Development is more one-on-one. So I can come to you and say, Tony, boy, I know that you've got these three people. Do you know about these people? How are you developing Steve? How are you developing Matt? How are you developing Julie? And understand that they're different just like you're different. HR can spend a lot more time in a coaching role, developing people over time so that the people managers have a better chance to succeed with their staff. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, I mean, the first thing they should probably do is read HR Rising. (laughs) (laughs) So you you do say in the book, I, I thought this was interesting. You say that HR professionals should practice the principle that credibility is earned, but trust is given. Explain it. The myth has been trust is earned and you can't do it because you'll never find somebody who's going to earn your trust because you're going to disappoint somebody back to the failure piece. Mm. Credibility is based on behavior. If my walk and talk match, I'm going to earn credibility over time. You can have faults in there, but I'm going to earn credibility. Once a person is seen as credible, I will trust you. In the past, or honestly, in most models right now, it's trust first, and then I assign credibility. You can lose, lose your credibility in an instant. You can lose your trust and earn it back, mm-hmm. get it back over time. Credibility is the key because you want people who are credible in what they do. They say what they say. They do what they do. They're accountable. They're human. But credibility is really the key much more than trust. Right. Absolutely. So something you and I have in common that we've talked about a lot, I I grew up during a period when uh, 70s music was actually of the period and not classic rock. (laughs) So (laughs) I remember when the new Loverboy album came out. So you're a big classic classic rock fan. Um, In the book, you talk about how you throw your, your love of music into the book. So you talk about how HR is stuck in the middle with you and why organizations should take, take a chance on me. Talk a little bit about how, uh, how music and HR go together. For me, I hear it all the time. You can take almost any tune and put a human component to it. When you say take a chance on me, I mean, think about that. HR has been aching to get a seat at the table that is so outdated. We have to put ourselves out there. You have to say, hey, choose me. Look at me. Take that chance. But you have to be intentional in stepping forward. For stuck in the middle, that's what HR is. That's fantastic. That's where you want to be because you're right in the heart of the action. But I literally will listen to music all day and I'll hear a tune and go, oh, that reminds me of HR. (laughs) Or, oh, that reminds me of HR. Different aspects of it. Back to your Loverboy reference, I can't tell you how many people would say working for the weekend is in their soul. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. That's funny. And and it's so sad in a pandemic, there's no live music. But you can go back and watch the concerts on video. So that part's okay. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you end the book with the line, together we are HR rising. 
offering perhaps you know both a challenge to HR practitioners and a rallying call for the profession. Can you tell us what HR Rising really means to you? And maybe even what's the one big idea you want readers to take away from the book? I think with everything that's been going on, with the pandemic, with the social justice issues that are coming forward, I think we're finally realizing that organizations have always been people-centered, whether they've practiced that way or not. And if they're going to be people-centered, which they need to be in order to stay relevant and tangible for the future. HR has to rise up in order to lead those functions to make sure that the organizations remain people-centric. When you look at things from a people-first lens, it changes the conversation every day. Good, bad, there's both. But I think when we keep trying to focus on the things of work, the functions of work. We overlook people. And when you see organizations that struggle or can't get over that hump or disappear, honestly, you can almost tie it every time to they never took care of their people. So HR has to step forward in order for us to remain relevant as well as a profession. So it's time for us to rise up and take our place as leaders. Well, excellent advice. You know, before I let you go, in, in normal time, you'd probably be in the middle of a book tour, <laughs> going to SHRM conferences, SHRM chapter meetings. What, what's your take on when all of that will be back? And, and are you anticipating a, a delayed book tour? I am. I think there's a couple things going on. One, I'm excited about the virtual side of things, and I'll tell you why. I got an invitation to speak at a chapter in northern Nevada. Well, I can do that now without having to leave. So we can talk about HR, do a presentation, and also talk about the book, even though I'm not present in Northern Nevada. In the past, it would have been very difficult to do that because travel, time, time away from work, time away from family. So I like that it's opened up that side of things. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping though, there's a blend. In-person can't be replaced because the connection of the audience, the connection of one-on-one, to be able to sit across from somebody at a table and talk to them about their experience in HR and sign a book for them. I, I hope I get to do that for years to come, but I think you're going to see a blend. And in the meantime, you can do a tour of India and Australia from your living room. Absolutely. You know, <laughs> what's fun is uh, in the book, if people get the book on the back, when you look at the quotes, five of the quotes are from people from all over the world. So there's a quote from Pakistan, uh, uh, HR practitioners from Pakistan, Australia, Canada, South Africa, and England, as well as people from the States. HR on purpose was fortunate enough to have a global touch. So I wanted to start out understanding that we're a global community anyway. So I would like to see HR rise across the globe. And I know that's very aspirational, but we are a global community. And uh, yeah, I would love to be able to, to do events all over the world. That's fantastic. Well, we, we have run out of time. Steve, I could talk to you for hours. I want to remind all the listeners that HR Rising is available in the Sherm bookstore. Just go to Sherm.org and click on the bookstore and you can get a copy there. I guarantee you, if you mail your copy to Steve, he will sign it and mail it back to you. Right, Steve? 
Guaranteed. <laughs> okay. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of All Things Work. A big thank you to Steve Brown for joining me and talking about his book, HR Rising. And before we get out of here, I just want to encourage everyone to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, Google Play, wherever you listen to podcasts. And while you're at it, be sure to give us a five-star rating and leave a review. And also, be sure to check out Sherm on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And you can find all of our episodes and more podcasts on our website at sherm.org slash podcasts. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time on All Things Work. All Things Work is sponsored by PNC Organizational Financial Wellness. Organizing multiple, customizable financial health solutions to help address your employees' specific needs all in one place. PNC Organizational Financial Wellness. Organizational Financial Wellness organized for you. Learn more at pnc.com slash wellness. PNC and PNC Bank are registered marks of the PNC Financial Services Group, Inc. PNC.